Well, welcome everybody to the uh, Structurally in Hatch webinar. Uh, we're excited to be here. Uh, hopefully you guys are excited to be here on a Friday afternoon as well. Uh, we're here to talk about how to hire the right ISA for your real estate business. My name is Nate Jones. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Structurally. Uh, we're an artificial intelligence inside sales agent company. Uh, we love to be working closely with uh, with the Hatch Coaching and Hatch Realty team, which uh, we've got two of the the uh, the best on that team, I would say, with us today. Robbie T and Eric Hatch. Take it away, guys. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, I'm really excited today because we get to get talk about something that's really dear to our hearts. Um, all about um, hiring the right ISA. And what I'm gonna do is I actually wanna kick it to, to Eric first um, because um, you're the one who did this right the first time. And uh, on our last call, you coined the phrase, we fumbled our way through it. But uh, you know, I, I'd love for you to, to really start things off, Eric. How the heck do you hire the right ISA for the real estate business? Uh. Gosh, I wish it was an easy answer, and it is not. Uh, I pride myself on uh, I pride ourselves on being really good at hiring. Uh, uh, Hatch Realty and Hatch Coaching are based out of Fargo, North Dakota. Our community is about two hundred thousand people. Um, we will sell six hundred and fifty ish homes this year. Uh, we were this last year the number forty three real estate team in the country. And I, I give you those facts and those uh, pieces of data because it's important that you understand that it hasn't always been this way. Uh, and we've built it now on the backs of ISAs and I've gotten really good at hiring and it's still been the hardest position I've ever had to fill. It's exhausting. It's difficult. I see a question right now from Ryan asking, uh, how do you keep somebody in the department long term? Like there's there's just so much meat and, and potatoes here. So let me dive into your question with more specificity, Robbie. Um, mm. I want to take you back to 2013. Uh, I saw some big wigs, uh, some people who really knew what they were doing, that they wanted, uh, that they had ISAs in their world. And even the the Red Book, the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book, talks about people in like call centers and, and outbound callers. And realistically, we had a plethora of business. And with that plethora of business, we were letting a lot of leads go uh, unattended to. We didn't get back to them at all. Or if we did, it was in like a 24-hour period. And so here was the hiring trick. Uh, write this down. This is really important. Um, hire your friend after a 20-minute interview. And then I want you to take that piece of paper and tear it up and just disregard everything I just told you because that was how I hired the first one. And I got lucky. Okay, I had somebody who just answered and responded to leads and we actually got lucky. He had no desire to be like this big producing agent, uh, loved being kind of behind the scenes, prides himself on being a number two and was a really good culture fit. Mm. He was fine at the job, but he was a really good culture fit. And what happened is we then uh, got introduced to a guy named Robbie and uh, Robbie was in his young 20s. Uh, uh, a year or so out of college, was working on political campaigns, and Josh, our first ISA, uh, vouched for him. And he said, Robbie's a really good dude. And 
So I brought in Robbie to interview him. And I, at this point, I started slowing down in the interview process. Uh, I used to just hire people because I liked them, because I thought they were great. Uh, but I, I started to figure out who we were and who we needed in our world. In fact, we now have developed a nine-step hiring process that I'm happy to, to go over here in a moment. Uh, but in this ISA world, when I brought in Robbie, here's the biggest difference maker of him and anybody else is he was hungry. Like mm. not, ju not just hungry, uh, uh saying, I want to make a hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is. Robbie had a chip on his shoulder. Uh, he had some people to prove he had a life that he wanted. And the only way to get through that, uh, and to that was ridiculously hard work. Mm. And so, uh, I'll be honest, Robbie gave a very mediocre interview. He dropped the F-bomb three times in the interview. And it's, you know, it. think of, yeah, <laughs> maybe it was more. I don't know. <laughs> uh, he he started off and he was very nervous and fidgety and like uh, doesn't like people in the first place. <laughs> so he was just all super awkward. And then as he got going and as he got talking, uh, I started to see his heart and his passion. And that's what I liked. But he was... Mm. He was so rough around the edges and I just knew that he, he, he was hungry and uh, Josh vouched for him that he would be a culture fit. And so for me, that was enough to take a chance on him. And a lot of times those of us who are looking to hire ISAs are looking for the perfect disc profile and we're looking for the perfect setup and we're looking for the, the, the person that's going to crush it for us. And we're looking for, um, we're looking for somebody who is maybe more qualified than we are sometimes. Uh, at that point in our game, when we were developing, we needed somebody to answer the phones. And that's why we hired Josh. We needed somebody to respond to leads. And that's why we hired Josh. And it wasn't even that he said the right things. He just he just answered the dang phone and, and called people and said, how can I help you? What are you looking for? Right? And then as we've gotten better, we've now refined it and refined it and defined it. And at this point now, this is the end of my long-winded answer here. Uh, at this point now, uh, we have decided that hiring ISAs is crucial in our business. And so we brought on people. We have about a 50% success rate where the rest of our company nearly doubles that with our success rate for retaining people for an extended period of time. And then the ISA world, we're only batting 500. I mean, it's it's pretty difficult to find great talent at this point because our standards have continued to rise. But if you don't have an ISA, don't start your standards right here because you're in uh, Barney Rebel trouble, my friends. Uh, start here because this is really where you're at. Uh, if you're if you're new in that business, you gotta you gotta grow with them. So that's, there you go. I love it. Go ahead, Nate. Yeah. I mean, Robbie, do you have anything to add in terms of like culture fit? I know you guys, like, like uh, Eric said, fumble, fumble forward. Um, <laughs> did you know that, you know, Hatch was the right culture fit for you? Like during the interview a week after, do you still not know it's the right culture fit? I hope so. Not. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say this from my perspective, when I was going through the interview process, um, most places you sit down and it's very surface level questions. Um, it's going to be, what's your past experience like? Um, what qualifies you for this job, right? Those very surface level answers. And um, <clears throat> although I swore many times in my uh, interview, Eric and I also, he got to the heart of who I was. And, I mean, that, that's uh, why you swore, Robbie. You that's swore why I swore, yeah. I threw you off of what was a <laughs> typical question that you were already prepared for. And yes. that's what brought 
the real Robbie out. And and so many of us go through a hiring process mm. and we spend 30 minutes talking yes. to somebody and we think this person will be great in my world. And that's like going on one date with somebody and marrying them. It's absurd. Uh, it's I mean, crazy. Like, unless you're a great catch like Nate's uh, who is single, by the way, <laughs> ladies out there, watch out. Um, <laughs> the only reason I'm going to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I don't mean to cut you off, Robbie. I just want to emphasize the no, point. Right. The reason why you swore was because we were asking you things that were real life things and not just rehearsed answer business things that had you given a robotic answer. And, and what that showed to me, because you asked a good question, Nate, was the culture a right fit? Was in that moment, because he was willing to go deeper than I've ever gone before in any other type of professional setting, I knew that that place was special, that it was different, that Eric didn't just care about me coming in and making phone calls, that he cared about him aligning his vision to match up with mine and helping me go to where I want to go. And that was huge. Um, and, and that created a buy-in that I don't think can, can really be replicated uh, unless you really do care. Because that's what it was, was Eric was taking a deep interest in me. Um, to see if I'd be a good fit. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And, and and to hit on your point, Eric, it is so crucial that your your interviews are not 30-minute interviews. Uh, like you said, it's like dating for uh, a week and then asking someone to marry you, which sometimes works out, usually not though. <laughs> and what we do is we slow things down. That way we can take people's mask off because that's probably what you saw happen. And, and we've seen happen a lot in our interviews is when you slow down, and you take some time to dig into people's stories and to find out about them, what happens is a mask comes off on who they're trying to be in the room with you and you see their authentic selves. And sometimes it includes a couple F-bombs. So be prepared. <laughs> so, Cool. Can you guys share any specific questions that you guys remember asking or that, you, that you're starting to ask today in your interviews that um, – really touch more on the culture rather than just the, you know, how long, you know, how do you handle uh, an objection, things like that. You know, what are some of those questions or what are some questions that you ask that really touch more on that culture piece? Mm. So let, let me go, go let me, let me go through the nine step process and that's going to, I think, show yeah. uh, how we get there. So uh, if you are taking notes, uh, I think this could be a nice value add for you. Uh, the first piece is you place the ad. And I know that sounds generic, um, but what we found out is that as we've looked for people uh, in a sales role, uh, quite often they've been drawn to uh, what people view as a typical realtor. And our understanding of an ISA is that they are a service-based person. I, our salespeople are too, but you know they're the folks who are going to be uh, a little more tenacious uh, in terms of uh, having to be front-facing with people. And, and instead, we defined it as a, a, a service piece. So inside sales and inside service. I mean, that acronym is ISIS. So we're not looking for ISIS here. And yet, I want people to know and understand that uh, as we place this ad, and we use a company called Wise Hire. That's W-I-Z-E-H-I-R-E. Uh, and uh, Wise Hire is a really great company because it serves as a a, a way to actually put out all of um, all of these feelers. So it goes to Indeed and Monster and everywhere else, okay? Uh, the second thing that we do is uh, we get pretty serious uh, about just doing some research on the people. So we get their resume and uh, with Wise Hire, we actually get a disc score. Um, for us, 
Uh, we think that the disk and the personality profile is about 25% of our decision-making, and we can narrow it down right away. I believe uh, that the best ISAs are DCs or CDs. Those are dominant and detailed. Uh, they're uh, analytical and thicker skinned. Uh, they follow systems and uh, they're, they're naturally probably a little bit stronger. Uh, I think that the people that could be uh, a little more at risk are people who are high eyes. Those are people who love to, to socialize with people. They love interaction. And they're going to be in an office for a long time as an ISA. And so a high eye can be really uh, hitting a brick road for someone. Your natural buyer's agents, those are going to be your highest eyes. Uh, and then an S, uh, an S are stable, compliant. Uh, they don't like to rock the boat. And in fact, they fear confrontation. And as an ISA, you are consistently, quote unquote, interrupting people's lives. And uh, you could have call reluctance if you have a higher S. And now that's 25%. The next uh, 75%, 50% is culture. And then 25% of that is your hunger, your grit, your tenacity. And so I say all those because on step number two, we're able to get much more serious uh, about understanding their disk profile, how they fill out their resume. Uh, if they, You can get a sign of if they're bouncing around for every job, and then you can also start maybe uh, researching them on social media. Not to make any decisions based on our protected classes, but rather to make sure that you're not letting crazy in the door. Step number three is we do a career night. And instead of me trying to filter through and figure out who are all these people, uh, we instead invite those that have gone through the filter. And every piece of the filter gets it narrowed down more and more and more as we go through these nine steps. At this career night, step number three, uh, we find out who had thrown their uh, application out on 90 different sites uh, and applied at 90 different jobs. And we find out who really wants to work in our world. And those that really want to work in our world will show up for the career night. And those that applied for every job and aren't willing to take an extra step, they don't show up. And so we filter it down automatically. And then we get face to face and we get a chance to feel that person's energy and to see if they vibe. Uh, uh, Michael, great question. He asked about to elaborate on the 50% culture. Um, I would describe it like this, Michael, as it's, it's a feeling. And that feeling actually starts at career night. Uh, the energy that the person brings uh, are the, the biggest two things I believe that are for culture are number one, if somebody is coachable and number two, if they're selfless, if they are others before self, if they're servants in their natural nature for us, that fits into our culture. Uh, I also think that people can't be victims. And uh, there's a lot of victims that apply. And when you ask them questions, they're blaming everybody else. And that is like toxicity in our world. And mm -hmm. so we make sure that when we're talking about the 50% culture that we're keeping that out. Okay. Uh, so this career night, we're talking about the job. And in fact, my role and my goal is not to lure them in by talking about how sexy our place is. I rather try to scare the bejesus out of them and have them not apply uh, and I, I want them to, to self-select out of the business because we talk about how this is a lifestyle and how I don't want them to graduate up, although there's opportunities to do so. They have to earn the right to graduate and not just be bequeathed it, right? Mm -hmm. Step number four is they answer some essay questions and it's continuing to narrow down the funnel. Step number five is we do 30-minute interviews where we really start to find out how this works. Step number six is uh, we then check references. And this is so vitally important. 
because if I ask Robbie for his three best references, uh, he's going to give me uh, his best friend from high school and he's going to give me his coworker that thinks Robbie's great. And he's going to give me uh, his aunt, but I'm not going to know that it's his aunt. Right. Um, and then we have to do more diligence than that. And so we actually ask those three references for three more references. And then we ask those three references for three more references. And we do nine total reference checks on people because we're going to get to the nitty gritty of it. We're going to find out it doesn't necessarily disqualify somebody if that person doesn't speak well of them. We just want to find out why in the world uh, has there been conflict and how has this person persevered through it. Okay. So that's the first six steps. And then step number seven to your question, Nate, took me a long time to get there. Uh, your question was what specific <coughs> questions do we ask in the interview? And our interview process on step number seven is a three hour interview. The first half is the life story. Robbie, tell us about the life story because it's one of my favorite things that we do. So it's honestly, it, it, as crazy as it sounds, it usually starts off with us letting them know. Um, first, within an interview that's three hours long, you always need to give them the framework that this interview is going to be different than a normal interview. That's where you got to start. You got to set that standard, set that expectation. And one of the expectations we always start with is, at any point in time, if they feel like this isn't the right role for them, or if we feel like this isn't the right fit for them, we owe it to each other to protect each other's time and let each other know. So you let them know how this frame of this interview is going to go. But the first um, hour, hour and a half is all about um, them. And, and honestly, it starts with the simple question of, I want to know your life story. So let's go back to when you were a little kid. And tell me about how you were raised. Just start there. And what's crazy is every person is going to find from a question like that a different starting point. Someone's going to say, should I start at middle school? Should I start at elementary school? And it's really up to you to how, how you want to interpret it. But you allow them to get to that starting point. And then the conversation goes from there. Because everyone's been um, – everyone's going to have a different story. Everyone's going to go down a different path. And no interview is the same. If there's one thing I can tell you is that no interview is going to be the same, but that always starts with, tell me your story. And traditionally, when you ask that question, um, sometimes they're going to start in the surface and you got to dig deeper, but they'll guide you to the things that are the most important. Now, things that we ask to maybe generate more conversation are finding out the best thing that's ever happened to somebody finding out the worst thing that's ever happened to somebody because those are usually defining moments that can really determine who somebody is. Anything you want to add to that, Eric? No. Uh, that three-hour interview is, is to – I mean, you're, you're getting to the root and the nature of, of people. Um, and the goal in it is to have them respond to things that they naturally don't respond to. Um, let me give you an example because we can talk about this and a lot of people have heard, uh, that you go long in these interviews, but, uh, Nate, let's role play this out for a second. Okay. Um, I can't, I can't in an interview ask you, uh, about your family. I can't ask you about any protected classes. I can't ask you uh, about any of that, but with the right questions, you're going to start answering it. So, uh, Nate, uh, tell me with your life story, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. Uh, who was really important in your life when you were younger growing up? 
Ooh, that is a good question. I would say some of the most important <laughs> And we're people... done. We did it. That's it. <laughs> it's done. It's there it is. Yep. So who was who was really important uh in your life when you uh, Yeah. Oh well, okay. Sorry. Jumping back in. I would say it's my uh my grandpa. He uh okay. he's been he's been with me for uh, quite a long time. He's a uh, he's a an entrepreneur himself and he's really uh impacted my life in some positive ways. Uh, that's fascinating. Uh, what kind of uh, relationship did you have with your grandpa growing up? Uh, very fun, casual. He, uh, he doesn't really always act like a, uh, a grandparent. He's kind of okay. just, uh, a young Tell man trapped in an old man's body. <laughs> so, so what, what kind of activities would you guys do, uh, that were out of the norm? I can remember specifically when he took me out to a bar once and, uh, tried to pick up some ladies for me. And so, uh, I don't know if that's a, a good sign for my business career, um, but it certainly helped my uh, my personal life. <laughs> uh, so you got amazing personal attention from your grandpa, right? Yep. Were there any relationships in your life uh, early on that you didn't get amazing attention from that left you feeling maybe uh, a bit of a void? Wow. Okay, so stop that's right a, there. Stop right there. Question. Okay. Yeah. That's when you know you've won, by the way, is when that wow moment hits. It, it when 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 you you don't have uh when you don't have anything that is a rehearsed answer. And that's what right. you're going for in this interview, is you're going to get out of the rehearsed answer. You had a story, you've told that story of your grandpa before, right? And I just used that bit of information about what made you feel good, and then I just gave you the counterbalance of it. Intrinsically, if somebody talks about, here's a point in my life that this was really tough, man, I grew up without my dad involved. Oh, so you ask about that and you learn about that because there's emotions with that. But then you say, what kind of relationship did you have with your mom then? And then you get the other side of the coin quite often and you get to find out how was this person resilient and how do they go through all this, right? And, and so that's the first 90 minutes of this 180 minute interview. And, and you just dive in deep and it's pretty common that people have emotions with it and you, you, you realize what they're, what they're working for and who they're working for. Um, the second half is you're starting to talk about job specifics for the first time. Step number six in the second and third hour of this hiring process is the first time we really get specific about the job. Um, excuse me, that's step number seven. Uh, that was all step number seven. Step number eight is then you should be gathering with the departments that you're going to be working with directly or the key people, and they should go to happy hour or coffee or dinner with you and uh, connect on a social setting. Um, we then want to allow our team members to say, we think this person fits our culture and we like their energy, um, or they can honestly nullify uh, all the steps that were led up to that point. In fact, Robbie did that uh, a couple of months ago. Talk about that, Robbie, because I think it's it's an important thing that you were able to dissect what the people in the interview weren't able to pull apart. Yeah, so this is really, this is the second half of the interview now where, where these, I'm, I'm gonna share a few questions that I've learned to ask um, that help us catch somebody that really didn't want to be an ISA, but kept saying they wanted to be. And, and this person was super great. And, and I, I thought she was awesome. But um, really what had happened at this point was she got all the way through the process. She did the interview with the other ISAs. And um, I just asked them a few quick questions. And, and I asked them, well, why is she leaving her current opportunity? And 
they said, well, she feels burnt out from her current role. And her current role was direct sales. All right. So we were missing a piece of the puzzle. There was something with direct sales that she was burnt out on, essentially. And uh, uh, I heard that and I said, all right. So when she comes into the office and meets with me, because I'm the final step now, or that was the final step, I guess. You were, you were, step number, you were part of step number eight, right? You, step you, number eight, yeah, yeah. You were part of the team. You didn't do the interview, but you were the, you were the one to be able to uh, either give your stamp of approval or your stamp of disapproval. Exactly. And, and I wasn't giving a disapproval at this point yet, but I definitely had some red flags. And mm-hmm. um, I just sensed there was something there. So she came in. And, and honestly, really what I did was I spent about 15 minutes just asking her what she was hoping to get out of a role. And I'd ask questions like, ideally, what does your – your work day look like? What do you want to be doing? And she said things like she wanted to be working directly with clients. Um, eventually, she wanted to be selling homes. She loved real estate, all of which is a red flag in the ISA role, obviously, because you spend zero time with people. You sit in a box and shoot text, shoot emails, make phone calls all day long, and you don't work directly selling real estate. Um, so I just listened to her. Um, Tony Robbins says, if you want to influence someone, find out what is influencing them. And that's all I did for about 15 minutes. And, and there was still some red flags there. And to put a bow on this, this is the question I've learned to ask that, that really works well because it, it takes something that can be complex and makes it simple. Is I ask somebody, I say, what type of role do you want to work in? And I describe three different options. And I tell them, you need to tell me which role appeals to you most instantly. You're going to answer like that. You can't think about it. And then on top of that, I want you to provide the why behind it. So I'll describe it like this. I'll say, Nate, uh, which of these roles is the most appealing to you? Nate, you're getting hired or fired today, or we're not picking you, by the way. (laughs) Uh, But option A looks like this. Um, You work a very steady job with a very steady pay. Um, It's an 8.30 to 5 job where you check out. You don't work nights and weekends. And the salary is very consistent. And you're probably making somewhere around $40,000 to $50,000. Or option B is you are working 60 to 70 hours per week directly with clients. You are working directly in real estate sales. There's the potential to make six figures but you're probably working 50, 60 hours per week. And then option C is you are going to work in office 40 to 50 hours per week, and then you're going to be working another 10 hours outside those hours. So you're going to be working 50, 60 hours per week. Um, And there's the potential to make six figures, but you're never going to work directly with clients. It's going to be all over the phone or texting and emailing. And which one of those, Nate, is the most preferable to you? And usually, of course, people that want to be an agent, they say B. Someone that lacks the hunger, that wants a very consistent type role, who's drawn to an admin type role, says option A. And then the ISA is going to say option C. So we generally... um, I present it like that. And in this case, I did this to this gal. And... I asked, and she said, well, without a doubt, option B. 
And really what she's then saying is, I don't want to be in this ISA role. And again, you can't she want wanted, to She wanted to be in our someone. world though. I mean, that- Yes. She, oh, yeah. she, she, was she drawn, wanted to be in our world. Yeah, she was drawn to our world, but not and, the job and the role. And what we had to do in that moment was we told her, this is not a no of you not being in our world. It's a, this role isn't right for you. I think the last thing we should ever do is hire somebody into a role that's going to be extremely and a poor fit for them. And that's what it would have been. We would have hired her. She would have came in and she would have been miserable in that role. It was nothing that she wanted. And she was great talent. And I think actually she'll probably join our world at some point. And, um, I think we did the best thing by finding out what she really wanted, seeing if it aligned with the role. Um, she was the right person, right culture, but not the right fit for the role. Can I jump in there and ask yeah. a question? Um, kind of touching on, on Aaron's comment here. Um, you know, I know you guys are involved with every aspect of, of your business. How, how might you know that someone's not a good fit for the ISA role other than those questions that you, that you post, you know, is it, is it, is it the right idea to bring in multiple people on the interview so that you can say, Hey, maybe, mm. you know, so they have those different perspectives from the different aspects of mm. business. Who's, who should be involved in that interview process? So they might have a better idea of, Hey, not a good fit, but she might be a good fit here for me. Mm. Uh, loaded question. I'll try, I'll try to unpack that there, Nate. Um, we have a person in our world, uh, that has done the majority of the hiring outside of me. Uh, she is on our admin side. And so we always, we always believe in a, a three-step process when somebody's getting trained. It's, it's really simple. It's watch me, watch you go and do. And if, if you have never hired somebody before and nobody on your team has ever hired somebody before, you just got to fail your way forward. Use webinars, use uh, us as resources. And we want to help uh, rise the tide as best we can, but you got to, you got to figure it out. Right. Um, if you have hired somebody even once, twice, three times, or a thousand times, um, you're uh, seen more as the expert. The more at bats you have, the better. Um, we've, we've, uh, I, I've spent a lot of time having Monica, uh, our HR gal and office manager. I've had her watch me, um, and then uh, I sat in and I let her conduct the interview, and I watched her. Uh, and then finally, when she was empowered, then she was the one to go and to do it. But I, I want you to think about this because we hear that and we're like, yep, that's very typical business advice, right? Like uh, have somebody shadow you and then you shadow them and then they're good to go. But I want you to think about teaching your grandma how to use her cell phone for just a moment. Uh, teach your grandma how to use your cell phone. What happens is you grab your cell phone. And then you type beep, boop, 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 boop. And you say, you got it, Grandma? Okay. And what she says is, no, I don't. No, I don't. And by the way, I'm 38 years old now, which makes me uh, totally out of touch with most technology and Mike Jones and all those other things. And so uh, I am in this place now where I'm realizing that it is really difficult to just see somebody do something else and then think that you got it. Uh, it's like watching a grandparent watch you on your cell phone and then they just know how to, uh, they know how to use all these apps and it takes so much time, uh, and you have to show them and then you have to watch them and coach them. 
And so in our world, if, if you are a larger, uh, a part of a larger ecosystem, uh, whomever is the one that is experienced and it needs to have people watch them, study them, uh, and then they need to be watching that person before you cut them loose. Did I answer your question there, Nate? Yeah, yeah, I think you did, absolutely. Um, so is there a uh, is there a ninth step? Have we hit the ninth step? Yeah, you get a job <laughs> offer. Yeah, it's a job <laughs> offer. The, the, the ninth step is the easy one, and, and most people skip six to seven of those steps. And every time I've skipped a step, cut a corner, whatever it is, uh, it has not worked out. Uh, we we want to rush this and and. A lot of us are millennials or close to it, and we want things instantaneously. And that is not the way to set up a long-term business plan is instantaneously. It, it is building a culture. But here's here's what is so imperative when you're communicating to these people uh, who are going to be possibly your future ISAs, is you need to tell them that this is a new role and that they need to show up and own this role. This is not an order-taking role. This is a role that they need to come in and be the chief commander, the king poobas of this entire role, that you are giving them permission not to just pick up all these leftover leads that aren't responded to, rather you are the future growth of this company. And everything we have is now on your shoulders. And so these people become managers and leaders in, in your world. And this is one of the huge differences between our Hatch Coaching and Hatch Realty world and many other ways in which people run their ISA programs. Uh, they are not the bottom of the totem pole in our world. They are uh, the top of the food chain, okay? Uh, so please be very cognizant about that. You're not looking for an order taker. You're looking for a leader as far as I'm concerned. And th that's that's how, because the question is, uh, it was asked a little while ago in the chat is, how do you keep somebody in this role when they really want to jump to production? I think you actually feed them with leadership and responsibility. You don't keep them uh, as as uh, the ones who are just picking up all the stuff that nobody else is getting, right? Like, don't take all your leads and just dump them on the new ISA. You're setting yourself up for failure. But as they earn the right to start leading the team, uh, that's how you find somebody who will grind in a role is when you give them opportunity and responsibility and influence. And so that changes the scope when I talk about that, right? You're not looking for somebody who's like, just really good in details and will make phone calls. You're looking for somebody who's a powerful powerful leader right i did that for you robbie by the way is that wolf of wall street right i think so there it is yeah there you go <laughs> uh, i, I want to add to that uh, uh real quick um to really accentuate that point um when you hire an isa they they're not just going to be creating opportunities contacting leads setting appointments they also have to have the willingness to have uncomfortable conversations with your agents. Um, in our world, our ISAs aren't just lead converters, they're really lead managers. And that means that they are having to have management type conversations with agents. In other words, sometimes agents drop balls and the ISAs are the ones that see it happening. And they gotta be the one that go, that's the coach, uh, the leader that goes and has these very uncomfortable conversations sometimes um, about them not doing what they're supposed to do. So make sure to, you know, think of that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think we've covered the entire process there covered a lot. Uh, one of the things that I think we're kind of revolving around a little bit then is, um, you know, what, 
what should the typical background of an ISA look like? I know we kind of touched on what their disk profile should look like, but now we kind of have mentioned, well, they should be leaders and they're going to be at the top of the totem pole uh, rather than the bottom. So are you looking for people with, you know, a vast background of 10 years leading a sales team? Are you looking for someone? What, what are you looking for? What is the typical background of an ISA who could transition into a leader look like? Uh, I was uh, I was in Texas a couple of weeks ago for some training and uh, was with my buddy Thomas Elrod uh, out of North Carolina. And he and I were chatting and uh, he, he described it to me like this as he said, you know what, in a lot of people's worlds, they have uh, goldfish that sits uh, in uh, their little bowl waiting to be fed. And he said that his goal was to have sharks, uh, people that went and uh, fed themselves, that were hungry and hunters. And I, I would say that uh, a person's job experience in the past doesn't determine where they're going to go in the future. Uh, I'm looking for somebody who is a shark. And you can see that in, in ways when you, when you do enough interviews and you spend enough time with somebody, you're going to see if they have waited for the world to be given to them on a silver platter or if they've been willing to go and to grind. Um, we've had really great experience with people with military backgrounds. Um, uh, two of our three ISAs currently, uh, one is Marine and one is uh, Army National Guard. And uh, they, they have had... Uh, masterful experiences of falling into a system. And then we watched them climb the ranks, uh, outperforming their peers. They showed that they were hungry. We also have a weird assimilation with all of our ISAs that seem to really adore Star Wars. And I can't figure it out. Uh, I can't tell you why. I've never seen Star Wars before. And I also know I would make a horrible ISA. <laughs> you can see Robbie shake his head. Robbie piping because I think it's important. <laughs> No, I I think you're you're right about that. I, I think there is no the military thing. People have asked, do I need to go hire somebody from the military? And please don't hear that. Um, what I think Eric is saying is what the really matters is do they have a history of defined expectation going above and beyond? I, I think another piece I know in my case. Um, when I sat down and I asked our ISAs, um, is this correlation, is this causation? One of the things that really stood out to me was um, the ISAs that have, been, that have been successful in our world, and actually a lot of the people that have been successful in our world have had some type of life event or experience that was humbling. And um, I know for myself, I left political campaigns not on such great notes, and that was humbling. Uh, Jim had uh, been overseas, and then Cody and Eric had had been uh, overseas as well, as well as Pete, one of our former ISAs. And I asked them that. I said, "What's going on here? Is this a fluke, or um, is this, you know, causation?" And they said, um, "The realistic is piece of it is when you serve overseas and you come back, every day here is a pretty darn good day." Um, so I think humility and I think hunger. Um, you want principles. You want to see the principles in somebody's background. I, I don't think that correlates with you have 10 years of managing a call center. I don't think that matters. I don't think you need to go out there and hire somebody that has two years of call center experience. If anything, I don't think it really matters. I know I, I've had a cousin who works in a call center and tries to sell me Cutco knives. And uh, there's a 0% chance that I would hire her for this role because that's not what this is. Um, I want somebody that has a history of 
showing that they want to improve their lives and they're willing to put in the work to do so. And when you learn somebody's stories, you see demonstrations of that. And the people that have been successful in this role, they have, when you, when you learn their story, they show that hunger. So I don't think there's one role. Um, I know in my case, I worked on political campaigns and I knocked doors and I made phone calls and yet it helped me um, be prepared for this role because if there's anything less popular than sales, it's politics. And I had to knock doors and make phone calls on political campaigns and have the door slammed to my face and get sworn at, which same thing happens in sales. Um, but I think the, the hunger is the big piece. You got to find somebody who has a desire and a hunger to change their life, uh, to change their life and, and is willing to put in the work. And you can't, some people will try faking it, but you can't fake it for three hours when you ask good questions. And that's what Eric found when he interviewed me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, why that process is so important. Yeah, go let ahead, me, Eric. Let me, let me cover this quickly, Nate. Uh, we oftentimes place job ads and expect the right people to show up. And I want you to think about that because uh, we have we've discovered the irony and the mistakes and the holes in our system in, in our companies. And that is for ISAs, uh, we pride ourselves on uh, aggressively going after what we think is the best opportunity. We aggressively go after leads. We're not aggressive with them. We're aggressive with our systems and we're tenacious with it. And then when it comes to talent, we just sit around and twiddle our thumbs and expect it to show up. It's like waiting for the, it's, it's, yeah, uh, hope is a very bad business strategy. Uh, yeah. Hope is a great thing to have in your heart. And yet if it's not met with massive action behind it, you are setting yourself up for huge failure. And most of us hope that great talent is going to show up. And really my job is uh, I I don't, I don't hit the phones uh, for, for people. I I don't hit the phones for the next listing and the next uh, buyer. I need to go out there and find incredible people and hunt them down. I need to be an ISA for talent. I need to be uh, aggressively going to find these people. And it's not showing up to say, would you like a job? It's it's constantly every restaurant that you're at, every interaction that you have with somebody who's in service, seeing how they are and being unafraid to ask them about their dreams in life. It's not to say, hey, do you want to make $100,000? You should come work with me. It instead is saying, man, you gave me really great service. I want to learn more about you. Uh, what do you want to do with your life? What are you passionate about? And if those passions happen to align, yeah, you're sitting, you're sitting in a better spot. So if, if you're going to find great ISA talent, yes, you have to go through placing the ads and everything else. You will almost always have your best successes when you find people that are already connected to you because you believe in the same cool. core awesome. things and you're vetted um, pretty so heavily. So are there any, are there any red flags? I know we've talked a lot about the good things to look for. Um, you know, the, the positives that you, the, the, the great flags that you should be looking for in your interview process. Are there any red flags or, um, you know, deal breakers that you might hear or see in your interview process or in your applications? Um, I think I want to, I also want to say for any ISA listening, is there any red flag or deal breaker that, you know, walking into an interview with, with Eric or a team leader that you should be aware of as an ISA that might make you back out too. So kind of both sides of the equation. There are any deal breakers, red flags? 
Eric, can uh, I take this one first, or do you want to go? Yeah, you go first. I got. Yeah, I was, I was typing a response. Nope. So you go. <laughs> okay, so uh, I would say this in this ISA rule: the the first red flag I look for is anytime someone says, "I want to work in real estate," it's almost always a red flag, and it's because they want to work directly with people, and it's it's a red flag for this rule. Every ISA that we've had come into our world. One, did not have their real estate license. Um, and then two, had zero desire to work in real estate. They didn't want to. It's not what they're drawn to. It's not their natural fit. And the reason for that is working in real estate is working directly with people. And again, in this role, you get very, very, very little of that, if not none. I think out of the three, four, 400-ish closings that I brought in, I probably met two or three random strangers and they were very impactful stories. That is not what uh, a high I would want. So that's just one of the, the big red flags. The second one is we have no room for angry human beings in our world. And we had someone in an interview that, was an, that showed anger, um, demonstrated anger, um, and not just frustration, but anger, a desire to hurt someone. And that's just, that's not mm-hmm. going to fly in our world. So that's probably more of a culture piece, but those are just two major red flags um, that, that we've, you know, filtered people out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love, I'm, I'm drawn to people that are uh, me people, or excuse me, that are we people. And I'm turned off by people who are me, self-serving. Uh, you know, the things that we love, we also can find out what we avoid uh, by by looking at the uh, the other side of the coin. Uh, my my and this may be where I've been lately. Uh, my biggest frustration with uh, potential hires are victims, people who play the blame game. Yeah, um, yeah it, it is. It is just you can't stop somebody from being a victim, um, but you sure cannot hire them. And <laughs> it's a little bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> And, and the opposite side of that, the opposite side of playing the victim role is an ownership role. And when you learn people's stories, everybody has failures. And when they talk about their failures, are they blaming somebody else for their failure? Or are they taking ownership that they caused the failure? Just little pieces like that are the ways you're going to dig past the surface level BS and find... Um, those authentic stories. So yeah, it's not just avoiding the victims. It's you want people that are going to take full ownership of what they do that are accountable to what they do. And, and here, here's the question. Here's the interview question. Uh, Nate, tell me a time in which you failed on a huge scale. When's the, and then you ask follow-up questions. When's the last time you let somebody down? Uh, what's, what, what's the biggest mistake you made in the last month? Like just get specific, give them a mindset of it. Sometimes you can say uh, with your friend group, because people will just think work, work, work with your friends. When did you let your friend down recently? And if they don't have anything, they're either the perfect friend and I just want to be besties with them or, 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 or they are, they are not self-aware enough to understand that they are a victim and it's tough. Mm. Because you ask, you ask Robbie right now, Robbie, when were you a bad friend in the last 30 days? And I bet you, I bet you'll sit, you'll chew, but then you'll say, in this situation, I saw this person struggling and they needed me and I didn't sense it right away. And I, I like you own your stuff, you know? So, uh, 
Is there any point the first one went to uh, in this interview process or throughout the interview process where the ISA or the candidate is able to ask you questions? I mean, in terms of like role play, I know we've seen that couple that that uh, that question a couple times. Do you do you offer that opportunity to let the the ISA kind of jump in, ask you questions? You know, that's Mm -hmm. what the ISA role is. They're only as good as the questions they ask. Uh, When does that when does that opportunity present itself? So I'll answer that first, Eric. I think in that beginning of the the interview, um, I let them know traditionally if they have any questions for me, they can certainly ask. I will say this, that the highest quality candidates that we have in the second part of the interview, when it becomes very professional, we give them the opportunity to ask us questions about the role. And that's traditionally where some of the standouts really pop out because they don't just sit there with their, you know, um, hands tied. They, they start asking you some questions that are usually pretty darn good. So I would say they're allowed to ask questions throughout the process, mm-hmm. but it's towards the end of the two and a half hours where it's their time to ask very, very specific questions. And honestly, we get excited about some candidates. We just hired a guy who had a, a list of questions and mm-hmm. uh, in that last half hour. And cause you're right that the, their ability to ask questions is so huge, but it's towards that, towards the end. So we're vetting them. It happens at the career night. It happens when they're applying because they can ask questions to us. It happens when they're registering for things. Mm-hmm. We're seeing this trend. Some people say, how much do mm-hmm. I make? And if that's their first question, uh, I love your financial <laughs> hunger, but if you think that that's how you're going to win somebody over is jumping uh, to compensation, yeah, it's tough. Uh, I do want to I do want to make sure that we say this piece is a lot of people want to graduate their ISAs up. Um, when you hire an ISA, they may want to move into an, a producing agent role. In fact, there's uh, I have a buddy Lance Loken in Houston, Texas. He runs one of the top real estate teams in the world. Uh, they do thousands of transactions a year, and Lance requires people to start as an ISA in his world, and then we'll graduate them up. The only way I can endorse or recommend this, and same with Lance, is if you also have ISAs that are permanently in the role. Because you use the ISA and you can use it as a breeding ground, a testing ground, and a grounds uh, to give people some, is, some tenacity. That I just kind of want to but touch on. But you have to have the consistency and the regularity of somebody else or about hiring your second ISA. In that is there role? something that you wish you would have done better in the first one uh, that you learned in the second hire? Um, you know, what's the dynamic between you know going forward hiring your second, third, fourth ISAs? Uh, let the me. The hunger of. I'm going to go first, and then you're going to go second. You outdid me. You outdid me, Bobby. (laughs) Uh, It's not often, but I get to do it. Um, The hunger of the second or third ISA should scare the first or second. That would be my biggest thing is when you hire that person, you should bring them in. They should be better, and they should be hungrier than the first or second ISA. So I just wanted to get to that, and you can add to it, Eric. Uh, thank you. The funny thing is, is I have a haircut coming up. And so I just want everybody to see this. It's going to be very, very quick. Uh, watching myself on these webinars is very painful. Uh, <laughs> uh, when you're looking for your second ISA, uh, you are looking for 
an interesting combination. I, I wouldn't always say you want somebody to compliment that person. Meaning if so, my wife is uh, uh, an SC, I'm a DI, right? We compliment each other, but my wife wouldn't be a great ISA, nor would I. Um, but you, you're not looking for that person to compliment and just to bring in the soft side of somebody's more aggressive. You're looking for somebody to compete. And Robbie said it, you want that person to hustle hard because having that second person in there should intrinsically make that first person run faster. Do you run faster, Nate, if you're being chased or if you're chasing someone? And the truth of the matter is you're going to run faster if you're in a race than if you're just jogging on your own. So whether you're in first place or second place, you're going to push a little bit more. And that breeds competition. And so when you're looking for someone who also, you know know what you did wrong the first time. If Robbie's your first Uh, ISA, Robbie's really good, but he's not uh, good in this uh, area. That's when you do look to fill in someone who's good in that area. We'll try and get to a final But the piece is the competition. That's such a good firing Our giveaway, which is exciting, but Guys, give us your final thoughts while we uh, while we let some others get some final questions in. I'm going first, Robbie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my final thoughts uh, are this: is uh, this ISA gig has changed our world, and us getting serious about hiring. This is this isn't just ISAs that we're talking about. This is everyone. We just talked specifically about the ISA language. Um, this game is changing. The real estate game is changing. Artificial intelligence is changing. Uh, people are changing when we look at different generations of folks. And it's going to be imperative that you take this so seriously. And 80% of your problems go away when you have the right people in your world instead of the wrong people. And so take this seriously. Move intentionally slow. Be strategic about what you're doing. And then fail your way forward fail your way to the top. It is going to be essential. And and so, yes, you're going to look for that perfect ISA. Uh, They will totally disrupt your world if they're terrible. If they're good, you you can move a five to a seven, but you can't move a three to a seven, right? So I want you to see like find right here and help get them here and pray that they go to here. Cause honestly, I thought Robbie was here. Turns out he's up here. And so you don't know what you don't know until you start doing it and trust your processes. Peace out. I love it. Um, And uh, I want to add uh, one more thing that maybe we breezed over is you need to hire people that actually care. I think that's something that we oftentimes uh, move too quickly past is this role is truly about serving other people um, and loving and caring about other people. So when you're hiring an ISA, hire someone that you would trust um, to help your grandma, to help your spouse, to honestly babysit your children. If they can't do things like that, if you would never trust that person to do that. If they're hungry but they're a schmuck, don't hire them. Uh, you got to hire good people. That's, that's one of the, the biggest things uh, that, that I would highly recommend. So find people that love and care about other human beings. It can go a long way. Awesome. Well, we, uh, especially I think that's you, right you on. That um, we appreciate you guys. I think this was awesome. I love, I love all the comments here. This was really, really exciting. Uh, I will bid you farewell from Structurally. Um, I'll let Robbie say goodbye too. Yeah, thanks guys, appreciate it. I'm excited to, to further the debate about our dials that one of the best that's been asked in a while. By the way, that's next time, that's a famous yellow, yellow bucket. bucket. I want that thing. It's our only bucket. <laughs>
All right. Well, uh, we'll see you guys later. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Enjoy your weekend. All right, guys. Bye.